The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black cow. Boone is here with me. If you're watching us on YouTube, go ahead and smash that like button like you're branded. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please go ahead and knock that out while you're here. All right, Strong Jaw. The story of the weekend is obviously Purdue. The Boilermakers went to Portland to participate in the Phil Knight Legacy Tournament, uh, beat West Virginia by 12, Gonzaga by 18, Duke by 19. So after being unranked in the preseason by, by AP voters, even though I uh, spent the entire offseason telling AP voters why Purdue should be ranked, the Bullermakers are now 6-0 with four wins over top 60 Kid Palm teams, including double-digit victories over the teams that were number two and number seven in the preseason AP poll. As a result, I've moved Purdue up to number three in the top 25 and one behind only Texas and Houston. Kyle Boone, what do you make of, of Purdue uh, blasting everybody to win the Phil Knight legacy? Really, really impressive stuff from Purdue over the weekend. Um Zach Eady is completely unstoppable. That was my that was my big takeaway from watching Purdue against Duke. Um, I think it, it was more impressed by Duke than it was cons- uh, impressed by Purdue. Excuse me, than it was concerned about Duke. Um, to me, I think there are some concerns about Duke, and and we can probably get to those in a bit. But what Purdue did this week. Um, was was really impressive and I think eye-opening kind of adjust expectations accordingly because coming into the season did not think that Purdue was a team that was you know ranked inside the top 25 not sure that they had a roster that that validated as much Um, but Zach Eady is so good and the pieces around him fit so well that um, I think Purdue absolutely has, has to be in that conversation obviously and um, I mean, he was making Derek Lively, you know, the, the top three recruit from last year, look like like Jalen Duran, like too little, like seven foot one, <laughs> two hundred and thirty pounds. He's looking too little out there. And Edie's a monster, and just the way that he moves is is so it makes it hard for for officials to officiate him. Um, it makes it 
hard for seven foot one, 230 pound centers who are probably going to be top 10 picks to defend him. And, um, if Purdue is going to play this way, like I, I think you have to adjust expectations. Purdue is going to be a team that's going to be a factor in, in the big 10 title race this season. You, and we're going to get to, to Duke's struggles, uh, specifically Derek Lively struggles in, in a moment, but uh, this Purdue thing is really interesting. Um, you're exactly right that if you took a deep dive into the roster that Matt Painter was bringing back this season, it, it did not suggest top 25 team. But the reason I ranked Purdue in the preseason top 25 and one, I had him 24th, is because even if the roster didn't look top 25 good, the coach undeniably is. Like, again, I had Purdue 24th in the preseason top 25 and one. Got asked about it all the time because Purdue lost for the top seven scores from last season's team, among them Jay Nivey, Trevion Williams, enrolled zero top 75 high school prospects, zero heralded transfers. But I still ranked Purdue because of Matt Painter. I literally wrote all offseason, like from April to November, uh, that Matt Painter, quote, deserves the benefit of the doubt, based on the consistency with which he runs his program. And that was backed up by the fact that Purdue has finished top 25 at Ken Palm in seven straight years. Doesn't matter who comes, who goes, as long as Matt Painter's there. The seven consecutive years they've finished top 25 at Ken Palm. Been to seven straight NCAA tournaments, been to four of the past five Sweet 16s. So if you're going to blindly believe in some program, that that's the type of program to blindly believe in. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to believe in Purdue, and so far it's proven to be a, a, a good decision. As I pointed out on, on Twitter yesterday, this Purdue team has a starting lineup, five guys, all of whom were ranked outside of the top 90 of their high school classes, and they just pounded a Duke team with five starters who were ranked inside the top 30 of their high school classes. Here, here's Purdue's starting lineup. Braden Smith <laughs> ranked 196th in the class of 2022. Yep. Fletcher Lawyer ranked 94th in the class of 2022. Ethan Morton ranked 103rd in the class of 2020. Mason Gillis ranked 220th in the class of 2019, and Zach Eady ranked 440th in the class of 2020. So I don't know what's wilder. Being able to have what appears to be a legitimate Big Ten contender slash Final Four contender slash National Championship contender with a starting lineup featuring five guys, all of whom are ranked outside of the top 90 of their high school classes, or the star of your team being ranked 440th in his high school class, or, and this is the one that is really interesting to me, they got a starting backcourt of freshmen who were ranked nine, uh, 94th and 196th. These aren't guys that on a very surface level in a vacuum are not supposed to be playing at a high level for a Big Ten program right from the jump. And they look like one of the best backcourts in the country. So all of this is 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 pretty incredible. I don't know how many 
other coaches could be really good with this type of roster, but I know Matt Painter can and is, and it's turned into, I think, um, the biggest, most notable early season story in college basketball. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Talked to someone at Purdue in the preseason who tipped me off that that Braden Smith would be important for this team. And he has been, so far, a very, very steadying presence in the backcourt. Um, a guy who was Mr. Indiana basketball uh, in 2022. Steps on onto campus is, is an immediate starter. He was really solid for, for Purdue this week. Fletcher Lawyer had a huge game. On Sunday, 18 points. That's his best game uh, with Purdue so far. Caleb First has been solid. The the guys on paper, uh, you know, the starters on this team. I I think you can stack them up to other Big Ten teams, and you could reasonably say that it's not as good as I don't know five, six, seven of the top seven in the Big Ten. But Zach Eady is, I think maybe the best player in the Big Ten right now, one of the best players in the Big Ten. Um, and the way that the pieces fit so neatly around Edie, I think it's a credit to Matt Painter, the way that he has built that system, that the pieces just seem to fit. They seem to work. And um, they they play their own style. They're, they play kind of a slotting, a, a plotting pace kind of around Zach Eadie. Um, they, they grind teams to a halt. And... It's working so far. Um, it's it's kind of a unique system in, in the way that they play. Um, but we saw it, at, obviously, at the PK-85. Like Teams are going to have a real problems trying to defend this Purdue team because of how many different weapons they have around Zach Eady. I mean, Eady is, is perhaps your leading candidate for National Player of the Year right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> listen, it's early... <laughs> This season is these seasons are long. There's a lot of twists and turns. I think if you start talking too um, matter of factly about anything, positive or negative, um, at this point in the season, you, you're really opening yourself up to, to 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 looking silly come February, March, even early April. Um, but Edie, I mean, this isn't out of nowhere. I mean, this guy's been a great college player for you know at least a couple of years now. And his numbers at this point in the season are, are outrageous. I mean, 21.7 points, 12 rebounds per game, 2.3 blocks in 29.7 minutes per contest. He is currently leading the Big Ten in points, rebounds, and blocks per game. So, listen, you know, let, let's not eliminate Trace Jackson Davis and everybody else from Big Ten Player of the Year conversation uh, already. But but certainly, if you were turning in a ballot right now, uh, Zach Eady, I think, would would have to be at the top of it. Up next for Purdue, and then we'll move on, is is uh, Wednesday at Florida State, which in the preseason looked like a good game between two top 25-ish teams. Florida State is 1-7 now, like shockingly bad. So Purdue will be a favorite at Florida State. And then after that, won't play another top 25 Kimpom team until they play at Ohio State on January 5th. So... I'm not trying to get too far ahead of ourselves, but like a 14 and 0 start is very possible uh, for this Purdue team. Um, again, really one of the more remarkable stories of this still very, very young season. Yeah, two things I'll add here. Ken Palm has a, an MVP feature it gives to the MVP of each game. I don't know if you saw this or not, but when you click through to its box score, um, you can see on Purdue's side, ED has been the MVP in games against Duke. 
team that has Derek Lively, Jeremy Roach, Tariq Whitehead against Gonzaga team that has Drew Timmy, Julian Strother and every other game as well. West Virginia, Marquette, Austin P Milwaukee. So he has been the star, not only, you know, of, of Purdue, but basically of every game he's played in and, and he's played against some really high level competition. One, one other thing I'll add, did you see Jared Burson's stat uh, over the weekend about Purdue and it's, and it's win. I did, and I okay. made a note of it, and then I forgot to put it in my actual notes. So please share it, but okay. I am aware of what you're talking about. Yeah, Purdue beat Gonzaga, which is, you know, they were number six in the AP poll on Sunday. That will change on Monday by 18 points on on Friday night and beat Duke, number eight in the AP poll again on Sunday. That will change on Monday by 19 points on Sunday. They are the second team ever to beat two AP top 10 teams by 18 or more points on a neutral site in the same week. The only team to do that before was UCLA in the 1968 Final Four. And of course, um, that was a pretty good UCLA team. Yeah, Pretty good UCLA team. It um, was obviously coached by the second best coach in UCLA history, John Wooden. Yep. So listen, anytime you're doing something that's the first time this has been done since the 1960s, like you're doing something. Uh, Purdue uh, has uh, has been absolutely uh, t- tremendous. Let's talk Duke for a second because they're on the other side of this. Blue Devils are uh, starting four freshmen. They're now 6-2, and two, losses to Kansas and Purdue. They got zero top 30 Ken Palm wins. They look, let's be kind, shaky at, at best under first-year coach John Shire. Um, and Derek Lively, who at one point, and I think for much of his senior year, was considered the number one player in his class, is just giving them absolutely nothing. He had zero points on three shots against Purdue. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who projects, I mean, I had him lower than most in the off season in my initial 2023 NBA mock draft, I had him back into the lottery and that was at the time lower than most. And that was mostly just, he's a traditional center and those guys are not valued this way in the NBA anymore. Um, But he has been, I I actually, I think I wrote whatever might limit Derek lively as an NBA draft prospect. is not going to prevent him from being an awesome college basketball player. Yeah. And yet he is not even close to an he's not even a good college basketball player right now. Again, early, but he's averaging 2.7 points, 3.3 rebounds in 17.3 minutes per game. Not closing game, uh, not closing games. Um, he looks uh, lost, uh, uncomfortable, overwhelmed at times. How concerned are you about Duke in general and Derek Lively specifically, both as a college player and as an NBA draft prospect? Because you obviously you know, think about and write about these things in, 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 in both ways. Concerned, but not panicked on Duke. Um, important context here with kind of the injury situation with this team. Jer- Jeremy Roach was in and out on Sunday with a, with a foot injury. Um, hopefully he is going to be okay. He seemed to be fighting through something for most of that game. Um, Dariq Whitehead had, you know, a foot injury in the preseason, had surgery. He's come back and, I think he's still working his way back to to full health. He hasn't been kind of the difference maker that maybe we expected. Derek Lively, same thing. You know, he's he's been um, dealing with a calf injury. Um, so far, he has not produced in the way that I think we expected a guy of his caliber to produce. Um, and then Kyle Filipowski, the guy who was the third highest ranked recruit in in that 
recruiting class has actually been kind of the most productive freshman from that class. He's been really, really impressive. He's been great. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's going to take some time for this Duke team to kind of get its legs underneath it. It, it reminds me a little bit, if you go back to, I guess, last year, A.J. Griffin was in a similar boat, right? He, he was banged up in the preseason. Um, Duke made a concerted effort to methodically work him back over a period of not days, not weeks, but months. I mean, I think it wasn't until conference play where he was playing over 20 minutes per game. And so I think Duke is doing the right thing by easing back its top stars um, from injury, knowing that you know, these games are important, obviously, for NCAA tournament seeding, for, you know, national perception, for ranking, et cetera. Um, but this team is playing for for March and hopefully for April. And to do that, I think you have to have your best guys playing their best basketball at the most important time. This is not the most important time, but um, from what I've seen from Whitehead and Lively, it's good. It's going to take them maybe a little bit longer than than normal from from what you would expect from like you know top five five star recruits and um i think they'll eventually get there but from what we've seen from lively like i still think he's gonna be a lottery pick still think derek whitehead is gonna be a lottery pick um but the the light has not completely flickered on for both of those guys and i think Duke will have to have both those guys really humming to to kind of reach their potential. I, I think um, a couple of things can can be true at, at the same yeah. time. I like that John um, is in key moments of close games late, um, getting away from Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead. You know, yeah. proving hey, like listen, you, you guys were you know top four players in the class of two thousand twenty two. Uh, projected lottery picks, but like we got games to win. I'm not going to keep you on the court just because where you were ranked coming out of high school. I like mm-hmm. that. On the other hand, I it is true that if you're going to be the best version of yourself, you need those guys eventually. Yeah. And so the good news for Duke is that, you know, up next th- th- is the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And according to a report from from Andy Katz uh, this this morning, we are uh, uh, on the verge of ending the ACC Big Ten Challenge because of, um, you know, television contracts. And and uh, so, th- so th- th- that will be coming to an end. But we still we still got it this season. And it's Duke, Ohio State, inside Cameron Indoor on Wednesday. That's obviously going to be challenging. Ohio State is, is good. Um, after that, ACC opener against Boston College – on Saturday, then Iowa next Tuesday. But then after that Iowa game, Duke won't play another currently ranked team until it plays North Carolina on February 4th. It's November 28th. And after Duke plays Iowa next Tuesday, they will not play another currently ranked team until February 4th. So there's a lot of games in there that should allow them to I think let Derek Lively play through mistakes. Mm-hmm. Let Derek Whitehead play through mistakes. Allow them to get comfortable. And that's where you can commit to, all right, hey, you're getting 30 minutes tonight because, you know, whether you're good or not, and again, nothing's absolute, but we're going to let you play through mistakes because ultimately if we're going to be great, we need you to be great. And that that starts with you being 
comfortable and good. You got to be good before you can be great. And again, these seasons are so long. Like we might look up in middle of January and Derek Lively looks like the most dominant big in the country. I don't think so. But with all the other bigs that are in college, but like I'm not ruling anything out about him because there's a reason he was at one point ranked the number one player in his high school class. But the early returns are noticeably not good. And um, that that's among the reasons, not the only reason, but among the reasons Duke has been eh, just just OK. And that's not just based on the results of games like that's according to uh, all of the uh, data, uh, statistical stuff. You know, they're only shooting twenty nine point one percent from three. That ranks three hundred second yeah. nationally. So when you're one of your five star bigs is non-existent and you can't shoot at all like that's a that, that's a problem. Um, but but, you know. There's a there's a lot of reasons why Duke has just looked okay, but again, it's early and there's still plenty of time to to get this this stuff right. Um, and like I said, after they get past Iowa, um, the schedule lightens up for an extended period of time, which should allow for um, a lot of opportunities for individuals to grow and yep. and uh, for the team to 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 look more like what those of us who thought they would be good. Um, anticipated them looking like again I, I started the Duke conversation by pointing out they're starting four freshmen that's not easy to do like even the great one and done teams like Kentucky 2012 or Duke 2015 those teams did not start four freshmen they, they, they started like three and then they had two non-freshmen in the starting lineup um, this Duke team is heavily reliant on first-year guys and at least two of the guys they anticipated being stars um, are just, you know, not really, not even good at this point. So we'll see where it goes from here. So you're not panicking on Duke. Um, I saw you, pan- I, knew, I, I, I you would certainly down in the rankings. I had, yeah. I think, 16 on Sunday. Yeah, and I think I'll move them down. Yeah. I have updated the top 25 and one this morning. It just hasn't published yet. I've got Duke down to 18. I've got Duke okay. down to 18. I'm not panicking on them. That's but right. in the preseason, I had the ACC like most people, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia. And I might, in fact, I definitely would, if you gave me the opportunity, I would redo that now. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I would probably have Virginia uh, one in the ACC. And, um, you know, then we could have a conversation about where to go from there. But right now, Florida Duke, State too. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> some people, some people had Florida State ranked in the preseason. I, I just, I was, um, I was hesitant to do that. I did not do that. Because I just wondered, like, yeah, they're bringing back a lot of, like, interesting players, but they were all players on a bad team last season. Are they really going to be just go from bad to, to top 25? I guess. But I, I was skeptical. I didn't think Florida State would be this bad. Like, one in seven, that's 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 crazy. I didn't think that's crazy. And so, yeah, the ACC is a, a bit of a mess. One of the reasons Duke is going to go this long stretch without playing a currently uh, ranked team from, like, early December till early February is because of a lack of quality teams in the ACC. And that's um, a reality for a lot of different reasons. I didn't mean to take this conversation this way, but like, you know, Syracuse is one of your big brands. It's down. Louisville is one of your big brands. It's down. When your big brands aren't very, not just aren't very good, but they're actually bad. Then that's how your league slips um, in, in national stature. And that's clearly, um, something that's happening to 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 the ACC right now. So if I could redo it, I'd put Virginia at the top, and then I'd you know figure it out. But 
Um, no, I'm not giving up on Duke or, or, or North Carolina, and we'll get to the Tar Heels here in, in a second. Uh, elsewhere in, in Portland, you know, there were two 18 tournaments there, Phil Knight Legacy and Phil Knight Invitational. Purdue was a big winner, uh, but so was UConn. We're going to talk about the Huskies next. First, though, a word from our partners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Purdue won the Phil Knight legacy. That's the big headline from the weekend, considering the Boilermakers did beat Gonzaga and Duke to get that done. Uh, but UConn also got a trophy. The Huskies beat Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State to win the Phil Knight Invitational. So they're 8-0, three top 50 Ken Palm wins. Um, strong jaw. I, I see a, a, a comment in the YouTube chat that says you were higher on UConn than most. Is that true? That is true, my friend. How high uh, were you on UConn? Because, you know, yeah. I, I've now got them, I believe, up to number six in the top 25 and one. I had them preseason top 25 and one, but I don't know that I would have predicted an eight no start with three top 50 Ken Palm wins. I don't think I projected that either, but I did have UConn uh, projected at number two in the Big East coming into the season. I was the only person, I think, on our panel to have UConn ahead of Villanova, which right now is looking pretty good. Um, I had it Creighton, UConn, Villanova um, in my Big East preseason picks. And I woke up this morning to someone who tagged me on Twitter reminding me of this. And usually it's you wake up and you get a, a mention on Twitter and it's, oh, shoot, what did I say? But this was actually a good one. Um, and I, I basically, you know, went and said, said, um, you know, I'm, I'm full stand on and on Dane Hurley and, and UConn this season. I think they will be a challenger to Creighton in the Big East in the clear number two in the league ahead of Villanova. Um, I also projected that they would be a number three seed um, this year or maybe higher. And so far, that's looking pretty good. They've they've looked really solid. Obviously, taking down Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State. Only team right now at Ken Palm with both a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense in adjusted efficiency. I have a trivia time for you, GP. Are you ready? Of course I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Four champions, four NCAA tournament champions over the last decade have finished top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. Can you name them? Can you name the most recent one? Or if bonus points if you get all four. Top ten tough. in offense and defense. That's right. Okay. Uh, most recent was it Kansas last season? Was not Kansas. Damn it. 
than it was Baylor year before. Well, that's awful. That's terrible. Well, then it was Virginia in 2019. It was. Okay. I knew that one. Mm -hmm. Um, 2015 Duke. Not 2015 Duke. Okay. We're going to chalk this up as a trivia time loss. Give me the answers. <laughs> Virginia in 2019, Villanova in 2015-16. Of course. The, the, yeah. The, yeah, the Villanova team was awesome. It was. Uh, Louisville in 2012-13 had the number one defense that year. And Kentucky in 2011-2012. Those were the four in the last decade. I would have assumed the Kentucky team if I would have counted back that far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, listen, UConn looks terrific. We talked about um, dominant big man. Adama Sinogo has been great so far. Um, not unexpected. He was really good last season, but he's averaging 18 and a half points, seven rebounds per game, um, shooting um, 63.3% from the field. They're getting uh, good stuff from, from Tristan Newton. Um, I, I always believed that Dan Hurley would be able to get this UConn program, you know, back to, you know, the the, the place it, it held for a long time um, in college basketball under Jim Calhoun, and it, it looks like it looks like we're we're there. Um, you know, it's it's not a bunch of five star top ten recruits projected lottery pick type of guys um, like some of those great UConn teams had. But it's it's rock solid. And are, are you ready to go so far as to say UConn, not Creighton, is the favorite in 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 the Big East? I, I'm I'm certainly willing to be open to the possibility. I obviously had Creighton projected to win the Big East like everybody else. I mm -hmm. had Villanova after that, like most others. And this Villanova thing, yes, they're dealing with injuries, but this is really bad um, as well. Like a historically bad Villanova season, is, is, it appears, is is underway. At least to this point in the season, it's been historically bad. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't want to misquote myself, but I, 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 had, I, I had UConn, let's be fair and honest, significantly behind Creighton. Um, and yet... I, I don't think there's much of a gap between those teams right now. There might not be a gap at all. Yeah, let's do it. UConn is the favorite to win the Big East. I, I think I can make that change right now based off what we've seen from both teams to start the season. Um, I definitely was on Creighton. I still think Creighton has very, very high potential this season. Um, but from what we've seen from UConn this season so far, um, with with Sonoga just completely dominating. This team has so many different pieces that have stepped up in big ways. I think they are the favorite to win the Big East. I would take the Huskies over Creighton right now if I'm making my picks. Right. In the top 25 and one right now, um, as it updates on Monday, I've still got Texas at one, followed by Houston at two, Purdue up to three, Arizona four, Virginia five, UConn six, one spot ahead of uh, of Creighton, and then yeah, Arkansas, right. Arkansas at eight, Gonzaga at nine, Alabama uh, at ten. So as of right now, I do have UConn as the highest rated Big East team. Um, they they've looked the part so far. Dan Hurley's got a a, a team that I, I think can not only uh, compete with uh, Creighton in the Big East, but compete with you know anybody. That's the other thing about this season so far is that. Like there's a lot of teams that look great. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I, I don't think there's like, like the, of the teams that look great early, Texas, Houston, uh, Purdue, Arizona, Virginia, you got all the teams I just named, like none of them have this like overwhelming amount of NBA talent that makes you yeah. go. They're just, they're just, you know, you're dealing with three top 10 picks there or three lottery picks or three top 20 picks. Like, what are you going to do against those guys? Um, none of them have over, they have really nice talent, but I don't think any of them have overwhelming NBA talent, which makes it reasonable to say things like, uh, you know, I, I could certainly see Texas winning the national championship or Houston. Yeah or Purdue, or Arizona, or Virginia, or Yukon, or Creighton, or Arkansas, or Gonzaga, or Alabama, or, you know, Illinois, or Tennessee, or, you know, Baylor, or Indiana. Like, there's a pretty, if you're putting together teams that can actually win six, uh, a list of teams that can win six games in the NCAA tournament, like, that list can be pretty long um, right now. And it's not a team necessarily with a whole bunch of NBA players. It's just there's a lot of very good college basketball teams, which has made this season um, fun so far. Obviously, most of the attention over the weekend was was in Portland. And on the positive side of things, it's it's Purdue. It's it's UConn on the other side of things. Um, it's probably North Carolina. You know, the reason UConn didn't play North Carolina in the title game of the Phil Knight Invitational is because North Carolina lost to Iowa State on Friday. And then North Carolina lost to Alabama on Sunday in four overtimes, which is a wild game. (laughs) So this North Carolina team that was number one in the preseason AP poll um, is now five and two. No good wins. Two losses to teams ranked outside of the top ten. Um, while acknowledging there was a lesson to be learned last season about you know panicking as it pertains to North Carolina struggles too early, um, you know the, there's no getting around the fact that uh, this team has been a disappointment so far this season. And it's not just because the record's five and two. Frankly, they haven't looked good at any point this season. Yeah, they they won their first five games. But it was like they were shaky in those. They trailed in four of their first five games against basically nothing competition. And then when they started playing, you know, good teams, um, it, it hasn't it hasn't gone well. What do you make of, of North Carolina's uneven start? Yeah, it's been a really rough start for them. They look shaky out of the gate to start the season. UNC Wilmington was a close game that shouldn't have been a close game. Barely put away Gardner-Webb. Uh, they go to Portland and Portland gives them a good fight. Portland gives them a good fight. Right. Um, close, you know, with losses to to Iowa State. Obviously, the four overtime game against Alabama, they lose that one. I was impressed with their fight on Sunday. Um, they seemed really engaged for the first time all season, but still, organizationally, they are just in in crunch time. They're just kind of a mess, and um, you know, they they've got guys who are glue guys who can make winning plays like puff johnson consistently shows up and he's hustling and scrapping for a loose ball or seth trimble um in four overtime in the fourth overtime made a hustle play that that gave north carolina a chance late leaky black obviously the best player in college basketball by far everyone was locked in um but i don't know it's just like when 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 the chips are down 
you know, late in the game, it's like, okay, let's dribble for 29 seconds and then throw up a 38 footer for three. <laughs> like that is just, they're just a little bit of a chaos kind of a mess right now. Um, their talent is obviously there. Amanda Baycott, Caleb Love, RJ Davis, like the, the pieces are in place for them to eventually figure this out. They're five and two. They're not two and five. So I don't think you can completely panic, but definitely disappointing, especially given the fact that they were the preseason number one team in college basketball. They just have not looked like that. Yeah. I'm still going to believe that North Carolina is going to get this figured out. I'm, I'm going to learn a lesson from last season. They got it figured out last season. And I, I get a little frustrated because especially over the past couple of games, you'll see a lot of stuff on Twitter like this team just got hot in the NCAA tournament and then everybody overrated them. And that's not what happened. It's just not. That's revisionist history. Yes, the team played well in the NCAA tournament. They were playing well before the NCAA tournament. Yep. Um, this was a team that was really good, like one of the best teams in the country, for about a seven or eight week stretch to end the season. It wasn't just... The tournament started and North Carolina got hot. That's that's more what UCLA did the year before um, or, or, or two years prior when they went on that final four run. UCLA is absolutely a team that the tournament started and, and they went wild. But North Carolina was playing well before the NCAA tournament started. So I'm a little dismissive of, of that type of, of observation just because it's not rooted – in, in reality. But it is true that North Carolina wasn't good for much of last season. But they did get it right. And I'm going to, and, and, and four of the starters from that team are back. And the only variable is Pete Nance in for Brady Manic. And Pete Nance has been good. Like, has he been as good as Brady Manic was? Maybe not. But he's been good. He's not the problem. I, I, at least not from my perspective. Pete Nance is not. Well, you know, they lost Brady Manick and they brought in Pete Nance, and that's not the problem. Pete Nance is averaging 12 and 5 on 42% shooting from three. Brady Manick averaged 15 and 6 on 40% shooting from three. So, advantage Manick on the offensive end. I'll give it to you. But, they, they, you know, that, that, that's one shot and one rebound per game. They're both playing a play to, you know, I think Nance is around 30 minutes a game. Manick played around 30 minutes per game. Um, Pete Nance is, is, playing his role well. Um, it's just the other stuff is is a little not right. Um, and, and a lot of it is is Caleb Love. Like you mentioned, dribble it for 20 seconds and then fire up a three. Uh, that's Caleb Love. And like he took a million shots uh, against Alabama. Granted, it was four overtimes, but like he took a lot of shots, Third, like 36 maybe. 36. And he's now shooting – 24.5% from three on 17.4 shots per game. So he's an interesting player in the sense that he can create his own shot very easily. And when he's making them, he looks like, oh, wow, this guy is one of the best players in college basketball. Looks like an NBA player. But the problem is that he is somebody who can create his shot whenever he wants, but he doesn't make it that often. Yep. And that was on full display in Portland, especially in the game uh, against Alabama. As a team, North Carolina also is shooting terribly from three. Pete Nance is good. Rest of the team, not so much. Team shooting 30.8% from three. Um, they're 12th in adjusted offense efficiency, 47th in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. And so a lot of their issues are on the, the defensive end. Um, of, of the court. And I, I don't necessarily think they're bad, but they're certainly, they haven't played well. Um, 
I'll, I'll be surprised if if they don't get this figured out and have some stretch where they win like eight of nine. And, you know, at some point we're opening a podcast talking about, well, here's North Carolina. They flipped it again and looked like real national championship contenders. Like, that's what I expect to happen. Yeah. But if you're a North Carolina fan hoping that what you looked like last March was going to carry over to this November, it just it just has not carried over for a variety of reasons. Yep. Uh, I've got a double trivia time for you. Second okay, one. Okay, KB. Legal? Okay. Uh, only one power conference player over the last decade has taken more shots in a game than Caleb Love did on Sunday. Can you name the player? It sounds like something. He's uh, Buddy uh, Hield would have tried. Oh, you are in the right conference and possibly the right school. Trey Young. Trey Young took 39 shots against Oklahoma State in 2018. Yeah, that, that sounds like something he would do. Yes. 39 shots. I was about shots. to say Trey Young, and then I was like, but he also, um, did he leave the nation in assists per game that season as well? So I was like, he passed he, a lot too. He did, yes. Okay, yes. yeah. So I was going to say Trey Young, but then I went Buddy Hield. <laughs> so I was in the ballpark. You're You're right on it. Love it. Um, yeah, so that Caleb Love, he'll have better performances than that, and North Carolina is gonna gonna need him to if um, they're going to uh, do any of the things most people thought they would be able to do uh, in 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 the preseason. For what it's worth, like I explained in a, I guess Saturday morning's top twenty-five and one after North Carolina uh, lost, I do not tend to drop teams in the top 25 and one for winning unimpressively. Like you win, you win. I'm not going to punish you. You might get jumped, but I won't push you down for winning unimpressively. But when you start to lose, then I adjust accordingly. And I don't get too caught up in, Oh, it's a 15 spot drop or a 20. Like, you know, I, I, I will believe in you until you give me a reason not to. And then I'll put you where I think you belong at this moment. So I've got North Carolina all the way down to number 20 in the top 25 and one. And the reason is because like, when you look at the resume, there's nothing there, no good wins. And they lost to an Iowa state team. Now TJ Osterberger might be over um, achieving for the second straight year. Um, But you know, that's the Iowa state team that lost a lot from last season's team that went to the sweet 16 and, you know, wasn't, getting any sort of preseason attention as a top 25 team. I did move Iowa state into the top 25 and one after the win over North Carolina, if only because like at that point undefeated with a win over North Carolina, like you got to be ranked. And so I I've got Iowa state at 19. Now one spot ahead of, of, of North Carolina, Iowa state, of course, subsequently lost to, to Yukon out in Portland. But uh, yeah, early returns for North Carolina, a little bit like Duke for different reasons, but, um, shaky shade, the two big basketball brands in that state off to, to rough, rough start. So we'll see if they can get that thing turned around up next for North Carolina and Duke. Again, uh, you've got games in the ACC big 10 challenge. Kyle Boone, thank you for being here so early on a uh, Monday morning. And for people who are regular listeners of the Iron college basketball podcast, who might be uh, wondering, okay, why were you Monday morning instead of Sunday night? And why were you earlier than normal on a Monday morning? Uh, then, then say so you would be in a different. We're going to try to be consistent with the dates and times, days of the weeks and times with these things, but our schedules are um, all over the place. The reason Norlander's not here is because he's traveling home from from Portland. Um, you know, 
when we planned this, there was a chance the number one team in America would be playing a game that tipped late on Sunday. Uh, that would have been North Carolina. And if they were to lose it, then it's the number one team in the country losing its first game of the season. Cause if they'd have been playing in it, they, they would have been undefeated at that point. And that's the type of thing that you lead a podcast with. And I didn't think doing a podcast at midnight on a Sunday in November made much sense for anybody. So we decided to do Monday morning. And then my little guy's getting his tonsils taken out this morning. Oh. So, yeah, I know. Oh. Like he's had strep throat a million times. And finally, it's just been recommended to get the tonsils taken out. So we're in for a rough week, it sounds God like. Because yeah. one of his little buddies just got his tonsils taken out. And we talked to the mother yesterday. And she was like, this is day five post removal and this has been the worst day so far so oh, the no. idea that it's bad one day and then it gets better it doesn't sound like that's true i'm hopeful um so uh in in order to make sure i could get to the hospital on time to be with my guy we had to start this thing at uh, nine o'clock uh, eastern eight o'clock central so that's the explanation where before we were uh, on monday morning instead of sunday night and on uh, a little earlier than Monday than we would normally be. But we're going to try to get back on schedule uh, this week. And that would mean the next episode coming Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, at which point we will look uh, back at the first night of the ACC Big Ten Challenge and look ahead to a, a Wednesday night uh, of games that, that on a surface level seem pretty compelling. So we're going to talk to you again Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Hug. And thank you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars. Nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. Like I said, we'll talk to you Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Till then, take care. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.